Ready? Yes. All right, here we go. Today is Sunday, May 17th, 2015, and this is episode 117 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Mr. Bell. How are you, sir? Doing awesome. How are you? Good. I was just reading about this nine dead in Waco, Texas biker gang shooting. That's crazy. It is. I think we should ban bikes. I think is, yeah. is the that, know, that's the clearly message. the problem there. Yes. But you know the good news is it was just amongst the biker gangs, so nobody else got hurt. Well, that's good. You know. Yep. But uh, silliness. Crazy. Silliness. I I don't understand. This is a very controversial topic, but I don't understand why gangs are tolerated very well. Right. Like. You know, like especially like gang gangs, not even biker gangs, like Crips and Bloods, and it seems to me that anyway, that's a different topic. But it's like it's almost like they should have like special departments in the police force to deal with those things. They could call them like gang units or something like that. I guess. Anyway, that that's completely off topic. I shouldn't even brought it up. Totally off topic. We've got plenty of other stuff in our world to talk about. That's right. So um, just to uh, to open it up as a reminder, the High Tech Crime Investigation Association is having their conference August 30th through September 2nd in Orlando, Florida. Go to htciaconference.org, use the discount code DefensiveSec, or Defensive Security, sorry, and get 10% off the $750 ticket price. And uh, I am going to be there. Sweet. I, gotta, I really got to check on it. Yeah, yeah you do. Well, I I just got approval for DerbyCon, so Priorities. I didn't want to push Priorities. push my luck too much. Priorities. <sighs> anyway, it's a new it's a new job. I gotta be somewhat nice. Priorities. We all have to have priorities. I got it. I get it. I get it. So uh, yeah, moving into our stories. Actually, you know what? Before, before I do that, uh, just a reminder because I suspect we might get ranty tonight. The thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employer. My priority is your mom. Oh, jeez. Yep, it's going to be one of them shows. <laughs> All right, so uh, our first story tonight comes from Computer World. And the title is Cyber Criminals Borrow from APT Playbook and Attacking POS Vendors. So, uh, so it's a, lot of, a lot of buzzwords. Yeah, it's a very, very content-rich or keyword-rich title, as they would say. So, uh... Uh, I guess this shouldn't be a big surprise to people, but maybe it is. Uh, the story here is that a, uh, a a POS vendor has been found being attacked by uh, what I would assume to be organized crime using what the author describes as spearfish or, or nation-state APT-level uh, tactics, uh, specifically spearfishing. You can't see Jerry, but he was doing air quotes as he said that. Yeah, I know. I have to. It's like uh, 
I, I, I feel bad if I don't. So anyway, and you should, I, I do. I do. Um, you know, the thing that, that struck me as I was thinking about this, as I was reading this is, um, you know, that the, they talk through one of the scenarios that, that, it, that happened. Apparently, um, the adversary sent an email to this, uh, somebody at this POS vendor and basically said, Hey, you know, your customer support people are not calling me back. Um, I, I, I demand that you guys help me out. We are, you know, we're having blue screens on our pause terminals. I need you to call back. And here's my business card, <laughs> which was a word doc that had an exploit. And then uh, apparently it was off to the races. So there's really, in that specific case, there's really no um, indication whether that victim got got owned, but, you know, it sounds like maybe they did. Uh, but Well, it's a very clever tactic, right? It's playing on that customer service pull where, you know, especially in business, you want to respond to your customers' needs. And if you're hitting up sales guys or executives with that kind of lead, they're going to respond to it. Well, that's exactly that's exactly my concern. Is you know we we have uh, we talk endlessly about uh, security awareness training, right? And uh, you know here's a case where how, how do you how do you train away this scenario? This is the problem with trying to do security awareness training is your only control against spear phishing or social engineering. The whole point of social engineering is finding tactics. That people will respond to. Yeah. And, and, I, and I mean, what do you just say? Don't ever click on an attachment? Yeah. It, well, then you're it's unworkable. With, yeah. It's not, you know, I don't think most businesses would tolerate that. No. So then you're back to assuming that attachments are hostile. And what do you do? Yeah. Well, it, but what do you do differently? I mean, you you have to you have to provide some kind of guidance to your employees about you know. Okay, they're all hostile. Well, we still have to open them. Right. So no, it falls back to doing some sort of tech and control and theory to help minimize the chances of these landing. Yeah. You know, I was I was thinking that the end game here. And by the way, I think this is going to be a forcing function for the industry mature. As as the you know as we get farther and farther down the path that uh, where all of our kind of quote traditional uh, preventive measures don't work that being training and antivirus and you know that even removing admin rights is that stuff becomes completely ineffective against this kind of tactic which is becoming more and more. Uh, adopted by everybody, not just the quote APTs. That's going to be a forcing function, I think, and you know th- th- that we're going to have some really difficult um, problems to solve. And, uh, and you know, and I, I was thinking the end game, or maybe it's not the end game, right? But at least in the medium term, is isolation. You know, we're, we are going to end up having to set up. Either, um, you know, higher or at some level isolation that is going to, you know, keep this, uh, this these stupid word docs that that people might be opening from letting them into you know deeper into your network. Um, I, 
I mean, until you leverage a floppy controller driver to, to break out of it, sure. Oh, Christ. Okay. No, I agree with you. Uh, you know, this might be a good opportunity for Microsoft to actually do something useful with an upgrade to Office rather than just tacking a year on the end of it and charging for another license. Uh, you know, hey, I hey, hey, hey. They rearranged the icons on that banner. That's true. That's true. Th- th- let's, not, let's not undersell the value. Well, and I'm not picking on Microsoft. I, I, I'm picking on the fact that certain technologies have matured, right? And to the point where how many different versions of Excel, how many different ways can I enhance Word, right, to make it more functional? However, all that being said, Outlook is a perfect case for them to do something interesting. What if they truly sandboxed Outlook? What if they did virtual versions of, of virtualizing Outlook and you know actually did anti-malicious technologies within Outlook that whenever one came down, it could detect malicious activity to a certain extent, a la you see some other folks like uh, Bromium and Imperva and that kind of thing trying to do these micro VMs. Well, if Microsoft wanted to do something to help its enterprise customers uh, and wanted to play more into the space, I don't know what they do. Uh, this is one thing they do. Now, here's the downside. As soon as a major move like that happens, the bad guys are immediately going to try to find ways around it. So it's always an arms race. But I could easily foresee, given the prevalence of spear phishing, more sort of sandboxing and virtualizing and some other sort of technologies that are assuming these attachments are hostile and finding ways to mitigate that on the endpoint as best we can. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're on a good point, that we should not have any misconception that once we solve this problem, that you know, the attackers are <laughs> they're not going to just give up and say, oh, crap, <laughs> let's, let's, go, uh, you know, let's, go, let's go get some legit jobs. No, that, that's really not going to happen. But at the same time, I think we have to just, you know, we've got to solve this problem spear phishing problem and and then move on to the next thing um so anyway i don't, I don't know you know i don't know if we're ever going to be able to we, we have to okay but we have to because let's say we we fix an email what's stopping into moving into social media and other you know ways we connect people fundamentally it's about delivering an exploit to someone in a way that compels them to interact with it. Uh, yeah, I don't disagree. Don't disagree. But, you know, like I said, we, we're going to have to flatten them as they come. Yeah, it's, it's a tough problem. So anyway, I'm uh, moving on to a related one from WeLiveSecurity.com, which I think is ESET's blog. And the title is five practical tips to avoid ransomware in your email. And, I wanted to include this because ransomware is becoming the bane of many a IT department's existence lately. And also, I thought that the advice here was not particularly helpful. So, uh, yeah, so getting into the five, the, the, the five ideas, the five steps towards righteousness. Number one, avoid giving out your email address. Yeah, how's that going to work for anybody in business? Well, not only that, but, um, you know, you you have an email address to converse with people, usually outside your business, and when they get owned and they start, you know, their their email accounts start spewing, you know, you are going to end up on spam lists, period. 
it's just going to happen. That's really, I, I think it's a silly recommendation. Number two, check the content of the messages you receive and send. Which, by the way, you know, their point was on the sending, you should check to see what it is you're sending, right? Because we all have, you know, hit reply all accidentally and, uh, you know, sent the wrong attachment, etc. But again, as we just talked about, looking at what you are receiving is becoming much more difficult. So, um, you know, yeah, if you if you can find a way to train your employees to recognize that an attachment is going to get them hosed up with CryptoLocker, more power to you. Uh, but, you know, you, you if you can, in fact, do that, you may want to go into business. Uh, number three, use a security solution to protect yourself against malicious code. Uh, probably like antivirus, right? That is brilliant. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know why that's not number one. To, to be I'm honest, gonna, I'm going to go do a Google search for that right now and see what I come up with. <laughs> uh, boy, you know, th- seriously though, this does portend something like application whitelisting, which you know is is a great concept, but really hard to do. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I well, think pick pick your poison. What pain do you want? Do you want malware pain or do you want whitelisting administrative pain? I agree. I agree. Uh, number four, keep your operating system, software, and applications up to date. And by the way, I'm not aware of almost any delivery of uh, CryptoLocker, and I'm sure people will be happy to point me out where I'm wrong here, uh, that, that leverages vulnerable applications. As I understand it, most of the time it's just, you know, click on this, open <laughs> open this uh, PDF.exe file. Right. Uh, And then the one and only thing that I think makes huge amounts of sense is to back up your information to to external hard drives. However, be careful with this. Uh, A lot of folks also have online automatic backup, like Carbonite, Mosey, that kind of thing. Here's the challenge. Let's say you've got a really important Word document, and you have it backed up to the cloud provider, your external drive, with some sort of automatic technology. And then it gets crypto-locked. The various backup tools will detect that that file has now changed and will back up the file again. However, it will not overwrite your good file with a bad file. Yeah. So you've got to be careful about version and control. Yeah, so I know some of those online, but, and I think this, that would be a real big problem with um, yeah, external hard drive backups. But um, I think a lot of, as, as far as I'm aware, a lot of the online backup tools will let you do versioning so it'll you know you can go back uh successive versions to one that wasn't crypto lockered uh, but you have to have that feature turned on for sure and it probably sucks up more space that costs you more money uh, but you know this is a this is a gigantic pain in the ass right now uh crypto locker is you know in, in all of the 8000 variants right now are becoming a a, a really pro- prolific problem, and I, I bet you we're going to see like a special addendum to the Verizon data breach report next year about it. That's true, and you know Microsoft put out their annual report. I haven't read it yet, uh, but I just want to make a note that it did. Yeah, release. I need to. I saw it. Read it. I saw it fly by too, and didn't read it either. 
So, well, aren't we just not helpful? Well, we mentioned that it exists, so we can do what we can do. So, moving on to our next story, um, which comes from ZDNet.com, and the title is, What Causes Enterprise Data Breaches? The Terrible Complexity and Fragility of Our IT Systems. By the way, that title kind of says, you know, the <laughs> the, the story here, uh, but it's an interesting uh, article, although I, I will say it's not incredibly insightful it kind of reiterates a lot of the things we said there is one quote in here that i want i wanted to read because i think it's really worthwhile to hear it's about halfway down the article and it goes like this a lesson i want to bring out here is the terrible com- terribly complexity oh it's badly worded terrible complexity and fragility of our it systems it doesn't take much for human error to have catastrophic results who among us has not accidentally hit reply all or attached the wrong file? If you did an honest threat and risk assessment, as one should, on these sorts of office systems, you'd have to conclude that they are not safe to handle sensitive data, nor to be operated by most human beings. And yet we simply cannot afford to not use these systems. We've created a monster. And, you know, there's our problem, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what we're... Uh, what we as an industry are faced with uh, with addressing and but there's upside right look at the productivity gains look at the efficiency gains look at the wealth that was generated by uh, well, it seems a very one-sided you know well, no, I, is bad I, kind of thing no i i think he, he is the second to last sentence points out we can't afford to not use it i mean there we've built this castle because of the reason you just mentioned right i mean it, we we couldn't have our modern society mm-hmm. without this stuff but the problem is we've dug ourselves a deep hole and it's really tough to get out of because we didn't have these problems in mind when we designed what we're using now ships get attacked by pirates and they run into rocks and bad things happen if you don't use them right yep but no, and, and so so I you know I I think one of the obviously this everybody writes things for a reason right and so this this person is uh, works for some kind of a uh, think tank I guess and so you you know later in the article he's plugging a, a report to come out but he did point out in the short term one thing that might make the uh, some good sense although I kind of question. Um, you know that the average organization's ability to take full advantage of this is to leverage outsourcing you know to to find organizations who can uh who can combat or you know, manage this risk well for you and you know and and uh you know kind of use their best practices there I said that bad phrase i'm sorry i i I did it. But anyway, um, yeah. What happened to the Jerry I knew? I, I work for a big company, and I get... You know, you got a dog. It's been beat into me. I... Anyway, 
So uh, I just I, I don't mean to be so harsh about this article, but it was just sort of like computers are hard. People could do bad things with them. Well, yeah, and then people can also do wondrously good things with them. Yeah, but uh, I, I know, I know. I get your, I get your point. It's it's difficult. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's incredibly complex. I get it. But okay, what are you going to do about it? Outsource and read this person's report. <laughs> it says it right uh, at the end. It doesn't leave any ambiguity. Um, you know, tonight is the last episode of Mad Men, and, and it's all about, well, in theory, it's about advertising. And why has almost all of the thought leadership in IT security become an advertisement? Um I mean, wouldn't doesn't the kind doesn't the free market kind of dictate that's what's bound to yeah, happen? Absolutely, but it is kind of sad. I agree. You know, most of the talks at cons are either a veiled sales prezo or somebody pitching a service. Yeah. In some way or shape or form. I yeah. don't know. I'm being cynical. Look at this on. look at this podcast. I mean, look at who sponsors this damn thing. Us. Oh, that's and, right. And, that's and, right. And you, and the listeners, are amazingly generous Patreon contributors. Let's but, be very fair on that. That's which right. Is awesome, and I'm still amazed and impressed and humbled by that. Absolutely. And uh, completely, since we've gone way off the rails, uh, we're going to have some really uh, special swag at DerbyCon, by the way, which I'm not going to tell you about yet. It's a surprise. That's right. Um. It's not going to get us kicked out either. So we we don't know about that. that it's that's... it's unlikely to get us kicked out. All right, that's fair. All right, all right. Carry so, on. So uh, so yeah, moving on. Oh no, yeah. Um, so this next story, I don't even know if I want to do this. Um, so this comes from computing.co.uk, and the title is Venom Security Vulnerability Allows Hackers to Infiltrate Networks Via the Cloud. We have to cover Venom. We have to. I know, I know. But we can do it in our special way. I know. Let's bring sanity, honor, and wisdom, and truth All right, to so, this story. So here's the deal. CrowdStrike... Uh, discovered through some means um, it's not in, they they claim that they did not see this in the wild right so apparently one of their researchers or multiples of their researchers found a flaw in the kimu q-e-m-u it's an individual researcher and we should give him credit okay we'll look up his name i'm surprised you didn't have it handy well you know that's how i roll uh, anyway, found a vulnerability in the floppy drive code of the QEMU vulner. Uh, sorry, hypervisor code and all of it, it uh, of its successive derivatives like KVM and uh, Zen. And apparently, even if you have the floppy drive disabled, you can still exploit this. So, uh, so apparently that. The theoretical, or or I, I don't know if it's theoretical or or been proven, uh, end game for this this exploit or vulnerability is that you can get uh, you know you, you can uh, get hypervisor escape. So you can escape out of the guest into the hypervisor, and you know all sorts of horrible things can happen. Um, 
you know, on that particular hypervisor, host hypervisor system. Well, that sounds like a big deal. Well, it's, certainly it is a big deal if you are a cloud provider or if you are operating a system in a public cloud. Because, you know, I'm assuming, and actually I'm not, I'm just being silly, that it must affect all of the big virtual machine players, right? Well, as it turns out, apparently no. Oh. <laughs> so, so apparently... Well, clearly, yeah. it affects VMware. No. And, uh, Clearly, Microsoft Hyper-V. Uh, no, no. Oh. Uh, no. And it apparently doesn't affect Zen Server either. I, and and, and uh, apparently it doesn't affect uh, Am- whatever Amazon Web Services uses. And, huh. uh, actually, to be honest, I haven't heard of any cloud... Pro- oh, uh, Rackspace actually was if- impacted by it, but they had patched uh, by the time... The vulnerability was released. Okay, so what we found here, and by the way, the guy who found this is uh, his name. I just had it, and I browsed away from it. I shouldn't have done that. His name is Jason Geffner, CrowdStrike Senior Security Researcher. He discovered this vulnerability while performing a security review of virtual machine hypervisors. So, interesting, right? Right? Um, Certainly not uh, something that, you know, probably denotes its own logo or, or, or name. So I'm guessing this was probably just a minor little CV that affected a few folks and, and onward we went, correct? Uh, no, actually, there no. was a, uh, a gigantic marketing campaign. <laughs> the only thing missing was a song. <sighs> yeah, uh, yeah, it, had, it, it, it got the name Venom, and I, I assume that they must have spent probably weeks trying to force fit uh you know an acronym to the name and um, venom stands for virtualized environment neglected operations manipulation yeah yeah i mean that rolls right off the tongue mm-hmm. absolutely so um uh what 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 really infuriated me i mean i guess beyond the fact that we need some sanity behind what we give a name and a logo to um but that's a whole other debate um there were out of the gate there were non crowdstrike security talking heads and uh in articles being written basically claiming that this thing is worse than shellshock i'm sorry worse than heartbleed so what i understood was that they notified various infosec press and technology press brief them on it, and embargoed it so their articles are ready to go when this went public. Yeah. That's right. And there were there so, were interviews with, uh, you know, canned interviews with other security people. So all this blitz happened, and then the rest of the security world went, meh. Oh, really? And That's... then they went, the hell is wrong with you, CrowdStrike? <laughs> yeah, you know. So, to be very clear, I think this was interesting research, and I think the marketing department at CrowdStrike really overreached on this one and probably hurt themselves. I agree, and you know, not as you said, not to take anything away from the research. I mean, that's seriously cool stuff, and I'm sure they should be absolutely proud of finding that bug and. They should be proud of the person that found the bug, and you know, hopefully, he gets a, 
you know, a gold star or something like that. But, you know, this is not logo worthy. Uh, to me, it just feels, I, I got to tell you, I don't have any insight into CrowdStrike at all, but it kind of feels to me like, you know, they had uh, their marketing team after uh, Poodle and Heartbleed and Shellshock and all those others before us kind of put together a canned package and, you know, sitting around, okay, it's going to be called Venom, it's going to have this logo, and then when we find something cool, we're going to, you know, we're just going to force fit it. And uh, um, and, and they kind of pulled the trigger on, on one that really didn't deserve it. And, you know, here's the problem. I get into this debate every time one of these things happens because on the one hand, you know, security awareness, the, the, the awareness to the public that this kind of thing brings is is rarely viewed as a bad thing, right? Because it 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 brings budget, it brings focus to the plight of information security and and all of that happy horse crap. Uh, but at the same time, and this is where I have a big problem, is that it, you know, there's a fixed amount in, in the average or really in every organization I'm aware of, there's a fixed capacity for addressing problems. And when you have this kind of a, uh, you know, th- this sort of a, uh, a release pushed out, it is a, you know, it is a direct attempt to manipulate otherwise rational prioritization of remediation. And that's yeah, the problem I, I have. I certainly heard a lot of friends talking about their leadership sort of uh, having a heightened sense of concern over this. And I'll be honest, there was a lot of critical patches that came out of Microsoft Hash Tuesday that I think warranted a lot more concern than Venom. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had a couple of uh, IE remote exploit patches come out that were huge and did that get press no did that get executive interest no did those who actually give a damn about caring about what's really likely to be exploited in their environment care yeah uh, i really think this was a huge marketing push by crowdstrike and it was a wrong move i think this really hurts the security industry and I think this sort of trivializes vulnerability research. And I get that they wanted to make a big push out of this, but um, pro tip, let the industry decide it's a big deal first. Yeah, absolutely. And you little marketing weenies think you know what you're talking about. You don't. Right. And you hurt yourself here more than you helped yourself. And... I don't know. I, this one, because it, it was very distracting for a lot of people having to, you know, respond to this. Yeah, and that, that's the key, I think, is, is more than they've hurt themselves. Well, the way they've hurt themselves is that they, you know, they tied up companies. They, they tied up security people who understood intuitively upon looking at this that some of those, again, some of those Microsoft releases we're way more important than this. Yeah, and, I had and, friends telling me that CISOs and CIOs were asking for briefings on Venom. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, and uh, that's exactly right. And you do that at the expense of other, you know, of other uh, potentially more important things. It's not, you know, it's it's kind of a zero sum game, unfortunately, right? We don't, we you know, we like to pretend that it's not, but at the end of the day, 
It is. This is a relatively narrow problem. Yes, absolutely. It is a, I mean, if you're a cloud, public cloud provider, it's hard to imagine something, you know, more potentially serious than this. But, you know, the, 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 the press that I read was about how this was, you know, again, more serious than Heartbleed. It was going to be an opportunity for hackers and 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 uh, cyber criminals to get inside uh, data centers across the world. And I mean, those that's almost a direct quote out of a bunch of different articles. And it's bunk, you know? It So yes, that can happen if they already find a way into, you know, a virtualized server, right? And if they've done that, you know, you probably have <laughs> really big problems already. And so, you know, you've gone from a, You've gone from a, a a ten out of ten on the badness scale to an eleven out of ten on the badness scale, and you know that's so. So anyway, I, I think that the way CrowdStrike, to your point, hurt themselves is they've, in my mind at least, kind of diminished their, you know, their reputation a little bit. And the next time, um, you know, the next time some put it this way, right? You know, with with Heartbleed and Shellshock, I'm kind. of... At the time, I was angry about them, but I'm kind of glad that they went the way they did, right? But with Poodle and this one, I think I think it really shot them. You know, the industry in quotes shot itself in the foot and because you know you have here's a great opportunity to like hit the emergency, the big red emergency button to get everybody, you know, everybody in the world from from you know from the you know the the grandparents to the school teachers to the CEOs to lawyer you know, everybody understood what those things were and they were really bad and really important to go address and then and then we, we you know we get trained that when something like that comes out oh it must be really bad well but it's not and so now we're going to have a hard time the next time something really bad happens so anyway I'm ranty I feel like they abused their privilege to talk to the industry. Well said. And, uh, you know, we actually have friends who work at CrowdStrike. And uh, maybe when the dust settles, I'd be curious to hear the insider take on it. Uh, we don't know that at this point, you know, and, and I don't know that if we did know it, we certainly couldn't talk about it on the show because that would be probably breaching confidences. But, uh, I really hope that they are being introspective and realizing they made a serious mistake. My gut is they're not. My gut is they, they their own echo chamber of marketing bullshit is letting them see that look at all the press we got and look at all this social media impression we got and all this other crap that is probably going to encourage other companies to now repeat the same BS. Yep. Yep. All right. I think we've uh, kicked that one in the teeth. So uh, moving on, the next story is from Ars Technica, and the title is Penn State Servers uh, Engineering Network. Oh, wow, I slaughtered you know, that. Oh, go ahead. I've got one other thing I wanted to say. I'm sorry, I have my notes here on Venom that I didn't talk about. So <laughs> interestingly, this did impact FireEye's virtual machines, and FireEye put out a patch. Now, why I find that interesting is FireEye has always said, to my knowledge, and I couldn't find a quote, but I remember them here repeatedly, that their 
VMs are custom built from the ground up for their purposes. <laughs> interesting. So I'll just say that, and now we can move on. Okay, Very on to ours, Technicus. Yes, uh, and this time I'll actually uh, get the title right. Penn State severs engineering network after incredibly serious intrusion. Officials say China was behind one of two hacks that hit the College of Engineering. So not a ton of details here, but they are claiming that the uh, the intrusion uh, exposed the personal information for at least 18,000 people and potentially other sensitive data. Uh, although they're, they are saying that no technical data was put at risk, but I'm not exactly sure how they would know that and or not know that, but um, there are a couple of interesting things, even though there's very little substance to the story. Apparently they were alerted to this by the FBI back on November 21st of 2014. And here we are in mid-May 2014, sorry, 2015. And uh, they're finally severing the network. And there's lots of questions about, well, what have they been doing for six months? And um, I, I thought that would be an interesting topic to talk about because we don't have a whole lot of other detail on what happened. Uh, my, you know, so I've I've certainly uh, worked on my fair share of big breaches, and you know, my good friend Bob has as well. And I will tell you that there's a, a kind of a, a two sides of the coin with responding to a breach. One side of the coin says, you know, holy crap, we find out something's going bad. You know, let's batten on the hatches, deal with it immediately, cut it off at the knees, cut our losses, you know, on and on and on. And then the other side of the coin is, um, let's watch what they're doing. Let's figure out what they're doing. Let's not let them know that we know. Let's bring in some specialists, and I think this is where companies like Mandiant really make their money. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of bringing in some specialized kit to watch what's happening, figure out all what's been compromised, and uh, and then you you develop your plan of attack, and then you shut it down for a period of time, you remediate, and then you bring it back up. After after you feel like you have a you know closed all of the holes uh, that they had that the attacker had been exploiting, so do you think that's what they were doing here? It's hard to not, you know. Now certainly, I don't have any insight at all into this, but I can't wrap my head around any other reason. Well, if they were notified back in November, maybe it took them all this time to find proof. Taking the entire network offline is pretty drastic. You know, I've heard that a lot. I've heard a lot of people say that, but I don't think it is that serious for... Um, There's also the school year to consider. True. Right? So November to now is the school year uh, for Penn State. So maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe they uh -huh. just figured they'd limp along until summer. It, it, that's an interesting observation. I don't know that. Um I find it interesting that they're willing to take their network offline, which we talk, oh, I don't know, 
probably many, many shows ago about, you know, you have lots of different choices you can make about reacting to an attack. And one of them is completely severing yourself from the internet and cleaning up. But very few companies are actually willing and able to do that. I find it interesting Penn State's willing and able. Yeah. Actually, you know, I so I, th- this story, by the way, is like late-breaking news, and I've only made it through half of the article. But there is an inset in this particular article that I think uh, ac- may actually answer our question. I'll read it for you. In order to protect the college – I think this was uh, this was a statement by the president. Yeah. The Penn State president, Eric J. Barron, wrote – in order to protect the college's network infrastructure as well as critical research data from a malicious attack, it was important for, that the attackers remain unaware of our efforts to investigate and prepare for a full-scale remediation. Any abnormal action by individual users could have induced un- additional unwelcome activity, potentially making the situation even worse. So that hmm. kind of says that what I was, you know, the other side of the coin right. appears to be what they did. Now, you know, look... I've been in cases where people drug their feet and have said stupid things, right? <laughs> to to save face. Um, and I'm not. I don't know, but you know, I they they're, they're kind of saying that's what they did. So yeah, it's it's interesting. I'd love to know more about it, but well, it's a public it's a public school, I think. So hopefully there will be. Um, you know, and universities have a tough time too when it comes to network security because of the mandate they have to have an open and unfettered mm-hmm. internet connectivity for their students. It's it's a really tough environment to do uh, computer security in. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so if there's more uh, more details that that emerge on this, we will uh, we'll cover uh, them as they as they emerge. So, um, speaking of more details, uh, our last story. Tonight is uh, is something we talked about last time, and it uh, relates to the. Actually, I guess it wasn't last time; it was the time before last. Relates to the dreaded, heinous, super sophisticated, almost alien-like hacking of an airliner by <laughs> by one Chris Roberts. Oh, this story has been absolutely hurting my brain. And it just continues to spin out of control. And I guess now the latest I saw is you know, not only did the, um, uh, the the arrest warrant, I guess. It wasn't an arrest warrant. It was a search warrant. Search warrant. Uh, thank you. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Not arrest warrant. Um, that was, was disclosed, and there's lots of hoopla about that, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Um, but also that apparently his company, One World um, One World Labs is apparently uh, in kind of bad financial straits. Yeah, so let's catch everybody up. So a couple of weeks ago, Chris Roberts um, made a tweet, and uh, let's back up even further. Chris Roberts has spent a lot of the last five years doing a lot of research on aircraft and security around aircraft systems. That's kind of been his focus for many years. So he made a tweet. Uh, about messing with the notification system, uh, one of the notification systems on an aircraft that he was flying on at the time. Uh, and smiley face, right, as a joke. And United caught it, or saw it, found it, alerted the feds, the FBI met Chris, and 
confiscated a bunch of his gear, interviewed him for a couple hours. Uh, all sorts of bad stuff happened. And now the a search warrant affidavit has gone public. And in it, all sorts of crazy stuff is in there um, that the FBI is alleging Chris did, up to and including actively hacking into a flight, in a flight that he was on, and advancing one of the two engines uh, to full power out of cruise power. And, quote, making the plane fly sideways for a while, end quote. Uh, as well as 15 to 20 times tapping into the plane's network and monitoring traffic flowing over the network. Now, this was allegedly done by the in-flight entertainment system, which is you know the thing in the seat backs that give you movies and complete trivia and that sort of thing. Uh, wow. So this has just exploded. And so now we've got the intersection of uh, aircraft with lots of people on board, the media, uh, hacking, and potentially putting people's lives at risk, and all sorts of craziness that has caused this to become a media firestorm. Um, Clearly he's a witch. Right. And, And we know how to deal with witches. We have to throw them in the pond. And we have talked about this concept before, that that hackers are for all intents and purposes viewed as witches and they shall be burned because what they can do is magic I have so many things I can say on this so uh, I have spent a lot of my life around aviation I am an active pilot and I have lots of friends who are active pilots and I have friends who fly for the airlines and the big shiny jets where to start let me say a couple of things for my notes right off. This was a search warrant application, right? So it is, it is inherent for the feds to make it sound as nasty as possible to the judge to sign off on the, well, on the search warrant. Let's, let's just pause for one second. A lot right. of the information that is currently being bantied about in a lot of the outrage is based upon what is in that affidavit. Right, as published by Canadian right. news source as well. So we've not even, con- as far as I know, it hasn't been confirmed that this is even a legitimate affidavit. Although I assume it is. Yeah, I, I don't think we have any reason to doubt it. But I guess my my point was that um, you know we're, uh, we're we're basing a lot of what a lot of the outrage and discussion is being based upon the notes that some FBI agents took from a conversation they had with Mr. Roberts. And potentially multiple conversations. I've also heard that the feds have talked to Chris on a number of occasions. And I don't know Chris. I uh, know him through Twitter. I've never met him. Um, you know, I've never worked with One World Labs. I don't have any particular reason to back Chris, uh, aside from he is a fellow InfoSec practitioner. Uh, and I don't like witches to be burned when I don't think they're witches. And that's dangerous for all of us in this profession. However, so let me address first the concept that Chris Roberts hacked into a plane in flight and changed the thrust on one of the engines and made it fly sideways. 
I do not believe this happened at all. In fact, I would bet money. I would bet my life on the fact that that did not happen. There's no way, shape, or form that happened. And here's why I say that. If that had actually happened, I am 100% positive the flight crew would have noticed. That's not something they would not have noticed, especially an aircraft having changed actual thrust on only one engine is highly noticeable by the flight crew who is up there monitoring everything when they're flying on autopilot. If the flight crew had noticed it, a number of things would have happened. They would have reported it. The flight data recorder would have been downloaded at the conclusion of that flight, and they would have pulled that information off, and it would have started an investigation by the airline, the aircraft manufacturer, the NTSB, and the engine manufacturer. None of that occurred. Well, do we know? Do we know for sure that didn't happen? I'm pretty sure of that. Yes. Okay. Now you may be right. I can't tell you. I can't prove a negative. However, there's no indication any of that occurred. Okay. Okay. And most of the time, that stuff is fairly public. Further, in my discussions with a number of airline transport pilots who are actively flying right now for major U.S. carriers, none of them have seen any anything out of their companies on this issue, aside from the feds issuing uh, the overall alert, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And I think if someone had actually actively been able to mess with the thrust of one of the engines, this would have been a huge deal, and all of the active flight crews of these major airliners would have been notified. Seems likely. Now, it's entirely possible they would have kept that secret. However, I, I do feel that my sources on this are telling me the truth and uh, that nothing ever came out. And that would have been out. When you think of all the active flight crews out there, it's very difficult to keep that secret. Further, the concept of an aircraft flying sideways is not accurate. Here's what would have happened if you had asymmetrical thrust which means one engine is thrusting much higher than the other. It's, it's very similar to if you have an engine out in a, in a, uh, you know, a, a twin or a multi-engine aircraft. First off, that wing is going to rise up on the side that has additional thrust. So you're going to start to turn. That side with the additional thrust is also going to yaw the aircraft away from the additional thrust. So, so that wing's going to come up, the nose is going to come up, and you're going to yaw away from all those thrusts. Again, that would have been completely noted by the flight crew and would have been a really big deal. The plane doesn't fly sideways. Now, you could interpret that those three motions might be making the plane fly sideways. Here's what I think happened. And I can't prove this, but here's what I think happened. I think... And this was a couple of years ago. Chris and another one of his research partners were messing with a flight simulation and were simulating a lot of these um, pieces of equipment and, and various avionics networks and such and simulated this and saw what happened in the simulation. And this came out a couple of years ago, and all the airlines went, yeah, no, that's not how that works. Uh, you use non-certified gear in a non-certified aircraft. It's not representative of a real gear. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. And they snubbed Chris and his research. Here's the next thing I want to mention. The inflated entertainment systems are often added after the fact. They're not put in during initial construction of the aircraft. They're added when the seating and the interiors of the cabin are installed or refurbished. 
right? So when a commercial airliner comes off the line, typically the cabin is empty and the customer picks the cabin layout. And as part of that cabin layout, they may choose to have the inflated entertainment system added. Like they can choose to have wireless added, that sort of thing. So you've probably flown on flights that have this and don't have this. These are retrofitted into the aircraft. As such, it is incredibly unlikely that these networks are in any way connected. Right? There is some positioning information sent from the GPS and that sort of thing into the in-flight entertainment system for your moving map. But I really have serious doubts, and I can't prove this, that that in-flight entertainment system is in any way connected to the flight deck control systems. Now, I could be wrong on that one. So what really happened here? I don't know. I can tell you, I don't think Chris took command of an aircraft and increased thrust in one of the engines. I don't know if Chris got frustrated with the various airlines ignoring him and that he has legitimate concerns that should be addressed by the airlines and, and really not the airlines so much as the, as the aircraft manufacturers. And I don't know, got, was bragging to the FBI or the FBI misunderstood it? I don't know. Uh, but this didn't happen. There's no way this happened in my mind. So I had, I've had a couple thoughts. Obviously I'm not nearly as versed in aviation as you are. However, I have spent some time around control systems and whatnot, but the, the, the in-flight entertainment systems often have the ability to display position, speed, altitude, temperature, things like that. So there's some sensors that they have access to and uh, if if everything is to be believed, there's been some indication, uh, apparently, again, that uh, that that he did in fact jack into the you know a network port underneath the seat. So there was a something I read uh, on a number of flights that he was on, the seat in fr- in front of the seat that he was in or next to it, uh, the, the little uh, cover that blocks the, the the network connection had been you know moved um so it, I, I will say really quick on that point uh it's under a seat with feet and luggage going in and out all day so uh, how many other seats also had the avionics for the in-flight entertainment system also have a jostled cover uh, that's a that's a great point that's, that's a great point um and then the other the other thing is that there were early on after you know when this first happened uh there was some discussion that he wasn't because it, a lot of the discussion was that he was going to you know deploy the oxygen masks and uh and then there was some discussion that well that's not actually what he would have had the ability to do it was it was that he would have had the ability to turn on some indicator light in the cockpit related to oxygen masks so um you know i I think i I don't think we actually know what the hell happened who said what what really happened if he did do it if he didn't do it you know at the end of the day there's lots of people who are really frustrated and angry and unhappy and scared and you know look the fbi is investigating right we have a process but should they be i don't know I mean, I, I when the initial tweet came out, I was, you know, pretty strong in that 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 
this I think is <sighs> if it were just that tweet I think the answer is pretty clearly no but I think based on some of the other potentially um, ambiguous or maybe incorrect or mischaracterized information it probably does you know in my view at least does warrant some look right i mean you know the fbi investigates all kinds of crazy stuff that never amounts to anything that's their job i know but we're also supposed to be free from government intrusion to our lives unless we've you know they have reasonable suspicion that we've committed a crime and so this very much comes back to what we started this this section on that he's a witch and <laughs> therefore right he can cast spells that we don't understand so we need to investigate and this scares the hell out of me that because people just assume hackers are all powerful he must have done this and therefore we must investigate him uh, and meanwhile in doing that his investors in his company have pulled out and half the people in his company have now been laid off yep that's uh so to be fair we don't know the entire story right but what i know right now this feels like an overreach by the FBI, a persecution of a legitimate security researcher because he made an unfortunate tweet, and we have the First Amendment specifically to defend us from these things. So l- let me ask you a, just a hypothetical question. If if you were aware that someone had – now, understanding that, that – that, let's separate the debate about whether someone could actually mess with the flight controls – Right. Mm-hmm. If someone had, you know, jacked in to the in-flight entertainment network and started monkeying around with it, even if the, there's really nothing they could do, that's still a crime, isn't it? Yeah. I Yeah. I would not support that. No. Without permission? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to be very brief because this is a longer rant, but what I have a problem with is that we're prosecuting intentions here, not actuality. If you can prove that he actually plugged in and messed with it, then we've got a legitimate case. If if you're prosecuting the fact that he could plug in and mess with it, that's like me saying, I have an axe. I could go kill my neighbor. But if well, – so so let's uh, let's change it change it up a little bit. If you – if you say, hey, I have an axe and I did go kill my neighbor, even though you didn't, where does that leave you? Uh, that's just a random piece of protected speech. So they don't they don't have a duty to go investigate whether you actually killed your neighbor? Well, no, there have to be some other evidence of that. Other than you calling the police and saying, hey, I just... I have an axe and I killed oh, my neighbor. Oh, oh, I killed. I'm sorry. I yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I can. No, 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 no. Uh, so, so I, I think one of the one of at least my understanding is that Mr. Right, Roberts has, has said that either to the FBI or on TV, some some inter- TV interviews said that he has connected into well, the influence. Yeah, that is, that is a problem. Right. And and so going back to your original question, now that I understand it, if I call the police and say I just killed my neighbor, yes, they they have a right and a, and a duty to investigate. And I, and I kind of equate at least my understanding of the circumstances is that this is more a the situation is more akin to that than him just 
tweeting out some stupid thing. That's and you may be right, and you know we'll see as the story develops what you know what else there is to this story. Um, yep, it's interesting because this turns a lot of people into armchair avionics experts, armchair armchair pilots, armchair First Amendment you know scholars. Uh, although in my own reading and research, it's interesting because a lot of people like to pull out the, um, you know, you're not allowed to yell fire in a crowded theater as a limit on the First Amendment. <laughs> Interestingly, that has been proven to be completely not an accurate statement. Uh, that comes from case law that has now been completely gutted with a bunch of other law, and that is no longer a valid um, example of uh, unprotected speech. So I, I wish I could find the articles I read because it's really interesting, but we have a lot of myths around the First Amendment that are not accurate. And you know, people state these as facts, and they're not. Yeah, you know, I think, at least here in the U.S., there's a lot of people who uh, who are very apt to declare something constitutional or not, or unconstitutional and not really understand uh, you know the the process that actually goes into uh, such a declaration. You know you don't you you know you something isn't constitutional or unconstitutional based on your personal understanding of the Constitution. Uh, it unless is, you're a Supreme Court justice, exactly right. <laughs> unless you are a a plurality of the uh, Supreme Court, in fact. Right. Yes. <laughs> so. Uh, so you know to be continued. But I think we should lay the he took control of an aircraft to rest. Uh, that just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I'm apt to agree based on you know what you said and what I understand. Um, I think the question is, were there other things that he did that were maybe inappropriate but not as dangerous? Yeah. Could be, could be. So. And uh, I'm willing to concede that that's definitely possible. Um, and I think we need to to learn a little more about that. But. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it, look, we're going to find out one way or the other, right? You know, the FBI is whether or not they should be. The FBI is investigating, right? So we're, we'll we'll find out, right? They're they're either going to charge them or they're not. There's really no in between. All right, I'm off my soapbox. So, anyhow, I think that is our show for the week. Uh, thank you all for listening as always. If you have any comments, especially if you don't like Mr. Cat, oh no, never mind. Um, send them to info at defensivesecurity.org. Uh, if you want to be among the many people now who support our podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash defensivesec. And by the way, just one more time to, to say thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart for all those people who have supported the podcast that really means a lot and in fact it's going to enable us to do some cool things like the swag we're going to uh, we're, we're buying for some of our the conferences we're going to go to so um you know uh, it's not we're, we're not going to be you know retiring <laughs> and uh uh becoming independently wealthy off of this thing so still uh we're really going to i think turn that around and hopefully make the podcast better with uh with the donations that we get um, also, if you want to find the podcast on the internet and links to the show or to the stories we talk about on the show, you can go to our website at www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Khaled on Twitter at Lurg, that's L-E-R-G. 
And you can follow me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And with that, we will talk again next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. As always, have a great day. Absolutely. Take care. Bye. And you are on mute. That's because I'm an idiot. Bite my ass. Wow. At least one of us has a sense of humor. Really? Really? Which one would that be? (sighs) Speechless, huh? It's going to be an awfully odd podcast with just silence. That's true. Also, I'm going to be gone for two weeks coming up soon. Oh, that's right. For your... uh... Were you going Bangladesh or... Oh, that's right, Alaska. That's my second guess. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.